You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. As Robin said, my name is Adam Fidel. Uh, my family and I have been a part of Queen City uh, coming up on five years. Uh, I'm a Charlotte native, uh, excuse me, North Carolina native, moved to L.A. for eight years. My family and I moved back. Uh, almost five years ago, and we've been a part of Queen City ever since then. So I have a wife and three kids. Um, before I jump into um, what we're going to talk about today, and okay, it's behind me, um, I would like to just pray real quick. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for this time. Uh, I ask that you open up our hearts and our minds um, to know you uh, in a new way, uh, that we could advance your kingdom, uh, that we would know fully that we're loved by you, uh, and that we'd be free of shame. Jesus, we ask all this in your name. Amen. So, um, Robin said, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Uh, the practice um, that we have primarily focused on marriage crisis, trauma addiction, sexual identity issues, uh, premarital therapy, and then family reconciliation and bonding. Um, so, that's kind of where I'm coming from. So, a couple of things I want you to think about today. Um, I'm usually in more interactive settings like, I'm a therapist, so there's a lot of back and forth between me and folks. So I'm going to ask you guys to participate quite a bit today. Are you guys up for that? Yeah. All right, good. Okay. Um, so a little bit, uh, you know, in, I'm not a pastor, um, so I figured on one hand, whatever mess I make today, uh, Robin and Andy can clean up in the weeks to come. Um, so this is not going to probably likely sound, you're going to hear me thinking and talking more than it's going to be like a a broadcast of a message probably. So um, I do want you to be thinking about what are we doing today? I'm very goal-oriented when I do work with clients. Uh, so I'm thinking about what are we actually trying to accomplish or discipline ourselves in or, or um, learn self-control in. And we'll talk about why those are important in a, in a little bit. But uh, I want you to, I want my, my, one of my goals today is to help you think uh, in a new way about your shame and the mess that you are. Um, and the beautiful thing is, is we're all a mess. Uh, and we all have an abundance of potential uh, when we're connected to Jesus. Um, to trust God in your story and to trust others with your story. And then at the end, I'm going to walk you through a couple exercises to give you some really practical ways uh, to gain some self-control and discipline over your emotional health. So that's kind of where we're going to head a little bit today. Um, okay, how many of you were here um, a few weeks ago when Robin read a list of like the mess of all the people in the Bible. Were you guys, some of you are here. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go over that a little bit because I think that's really interesting. When he did that, we were on the way home and I was talking to my wife and, uh, I said, you know, it's funny cause I think we hear stuff like that. And then we try to, um, see ourselves like with one person in the Bible. And I was talking to my wife on the way home and I was like, we're not just one of those people in the Bible. You're all of them. Like you have all of their mess in you potentially, but you also have all of the goodness and the joy and the hope that comes out of them at the same time. Um, so here's some of the things that Robin uh, shared a few weeks ago. Um, Adam and Eve sinned, yet fathered the entire human race. Noah got drunk and cursed one of his sons, but he built the ark, uh, faced a lot of criti- criticism and saved the human race. Moses was a murderer. Abraham lied and put his wife in a compromising position. Isaac did too. Sarah forced her servant girl into the desert to die. Jacob's, Jacob's son sold their brother into slavery. 
Joseph was proud. Gideon was fearful. Samson had lust problems. Rahab was a prostitute. David was a murderer. Like, that's just a few. Now, most of you are probably not thinking that you're uh, capable of doing any of those things or acting those things out as human beings. But uh, I think the sad truth is, is we probably all are uh, only a step or two away from becoming a lot of those things if we're not careful. Um, look, when people come into my office and work with work with me, um, you know, one of the things that, that I think therapy does, because um, therapy, and I want to be clear about this, therapy will not save any of you. Therapy will give you practical tools. Uh, I think therapy at its best helps you discipline yourself, helps you gain some control over your internal world, and helps you hopefully act out of your freedom uh, things that you are ashamed of or afraid to speak about and things that you haven't confronted. So the more you confront, the more free you become. Uh, and that's going to be pretty clear in, I think, the scripture we're going to go into. So um, I believe good therapy helps people develop confidence and self-control. So therapy, it's a... Um, it's a process. It's, it's a, it's an, um, you come in and you practice and you discipline yourself and you, you become familiar with things going on internally and you expose them. Um, and then I think out of that, you find uh, a lot more freedom. Um, okay. So I think Chris has, we're, we're going to, it's a lot. So I'm, I'm kind of coming out of Hebrews 12. Uh, it's a one through 17. And then he's going to put it up beside me. So I'm going to ask, I said it was going to be a little bit more interactive. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. And this is going to be interesting, too, because we, not, we don't all read at the same pace. So, uh, All right, so we're going to read this together. Hebrews 12, 1 through 17. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured with sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggles against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when we reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what, what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are all legitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of the spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And make straight paths for your feet. So that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing he was rejected for he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. You can sit down.
That's a lot, isn't it? Okay. So I was reading through Hebrews 12 um, a couple years ago. I had a note in my phone from January 2017. Um, And to be clear, look, out of all the emotions that people deal with, shame is by far the most destructive. Fear seems to be, you you can teach people to overcome fear by having them confront things. Um, Anxiety, similar. Um, Anger, you can help people deal with whatever pain they've dealt with. Shame, you know, and it's interesting to think about it too. Why is shame the most destructive or seem to be the most, uh, you know, shame tells you that you're unworthy, right? Like that's the definition of shame. I'm unworthy. Like I don't belong. I'm no good. No one likes me. There's nothing about me that can be accepted. Like that's the internal dilemma of shame when we take it on. Um, unfortunately, most of the uh, people that are dealing with shame, I, you know, I don't think it's by accident that in that in that scripture, uh, it talks about sexual immorality. Now, we're not going to talk about that all day, but we are going to talk about that a little bit. Um, I think that's because when people come in and they've done things, either of themselves or with someone else, um, it's one of the few, when you, it's got to be one of the most internal and external um, the sexual part, uh, things that bond people, right? So if you're, if you struggle with any kind of sexual sin, you're essentially objectifying another human being, right? And when you realize you're objectifying another human being, that doesn't, there's nothing, nothing about that that feels good, nor if you've done that, uh, in and of yourself. Um, so the, the phrase in there that really got me was, um, that Jesus was despising shame right and if you look that up that's in the uh english standard version other versions uh it has different language but if you look up despising it means to hold in to in contempt or to hate shame right so jesus hated shame he didn't he didn't like on some level what he knew it was going to do to human beings or what it had already done to human beings if we carry it for too long the only way to be free of shame is to expose it and i think that image uh, of him on the cross as a representation of that. Like when I read scripture, because of part of the work that I do, I think of things in like pictures. Um, so the other part of that, so he despised it. Um, what else? Uh, what does it say right before that? It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Right. So um, when people come into my office and a lot of times I hear this, hey, I've never told anyone this before. Right. And then they tell me whatever it was. I've heard that a thousand times, maybe. Um, What do you think happens to them after that moment? How do you think they feel? Free. Okay, that's not by accident. Um, Part of our dilemma, I think, psychologically is trusting that uh, when we. When there's something inside of us or something that we don't like about ourselves or something that's been communicated to us uh, and we hide it, we hold it, uh, we don't let it be exposed, uh, you will not find freedom from that. Um, there's a uh, psychiatrist, I've referenced his book before when I've talked, um, Kurt Thompson, Anatomy of the Soul. He has a line in part of his book and it says, sin hunts us on the plane of our toxic shame. Um, so the things that you will not expose, the things that are a part of you that you're running from or trying to hide, all you're going to keep doing is confronting that over and over and over again at some other, it, may, it might manifest somewhere else in your life, but that's going to be what keeps coming after you. Uh, and the reality is, is no one, uh, 
you're not going to be able to live in that state for too long. Uh, it's not a healthy place to be, and the only way to be free of it is to expose it. Um, Jesus was fully exposed, his most vulnerable moment, full of shame. He was naked, scarred, and hated, and he allowed himself to be. The same way we must learn to overcome the darkness that haunts us. When we are willing to look truthfully, truthfully at our mess and we are willing to expose it, when you have fully owned your story, all of it, I think we have to ask ourselves, what can someone do to you if you have full ownership of your own story and you're willing to expose it? What can be done to you? Right. And so like, that's a really tricky thing because you're also being your to expose your story means that you have to have ownership of it and you have to trust that if you expose it, that you can't be hurt. But here's the other thing about that too is, you know, I think Andy was singing in one of his songs and then Robin said, um, what would you need to know or believe if you were going to expose all of your mess to people? What do you need to know first that you're, that you're loved? So I had this thought when I was reading that a couple years ago. I don't think it's possible to know or believe in a moment that you're fully loved by God and also at the same time embody shame. Like I don't, I can't make sense of how they can both exist, right? So part of it's learning to choose and to believe and know that you're loved first. And then what's interesting, what does it look like to know to be, to, that you're free of shame? Uh, I think love is the first thing that you have to embody. You have to believe it. Uh, but second, I think it looks a lot like this. If I can find it. Hold on. So love was first. It said Jesus endured the cross for what was set before him? Joy. So I think it looks a lot like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what we act out when we're free. Like that's what comes out of you when you're, you believe that you're loved. You're free of your shame, and then you learn, you walk through life, whether it be through therapy or community. There's a variety of ways to do it. You practice and discipline yourself to take on the rest of these things, and this is the experience mostly that people have of you and that you offer to them. Um, we're going to come back to the self-control in a little bit because self-control and discipline, we can go ahead and talk about that for a second. Self-control, the ability to control oneself, in particular, one's emotions and desires or the expression of them in one's behavior. Discipline is the quality of being able to behave and work in a controlled way, which involves obeying particular rules or standards. Uh, I don't know if there's any significance. Maybe Robin can share this with us later. Theologically, are those things, like why is self-control the last one? You know what I mean? Like why is, is that the one that's the hardest to attain? Is that the one that as we work through this other process, like we have to, along the journey, discipline ourselves psychologically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. And then at some point we're, we have some version of self-control. Um, you know, at least on a neurobiological level or psychological level, you have the capacity uh, to gain a lot of self-control. Um, but it does not mean that you're fully in control. Um, so, all right. <clears throat> we talked about being free. So uh, people that come into my office, the most free people are people that are willing to um, be honest, essentially. Uh, and I think that there is a dilemma uh, within the church, like the whole church, of people just being honest. Um, for some reason, right, we think that uh, if I expose part of my story to you, that, that I'm going to be what? What's the fear? 
rejection. What else? Shame, judgment, judgment. Okay. So here's the thing about that. So like, if I tell you the, you know, the things I'm most ashamed about and I don't have ownership of them and you judge me for it, whose problem is that? It's yours. It's not mine. Okay. And we give that. So like the, the idea behind that is like, learn to take full ownership of your story. There's an interesting, uh, I had a friend in LA years ago who, who, he wrecked his life. I don't know how else to say it. He, he made a lot of really poor decisions. Um, and he, he told some people and, you know, half of our friend group, uh, just left, just left him. They were like, oh, we can't deal with that. Right. So there's a, there's an interesting thought in that because it's like, well, why couldn't some of them deal with it? And I think it's because they didn't know that they were just as capable or they hadn't dealt with their own stuff. Right. So like people that are, I think people that are able to actually sit with people in their own mess are people that fully understand the mess that they are, the mess that they could be. Um, I don't see how it can be any other way. So, I mean, that's an interesting thing to ask yourself. Do you have friends or if you told people in your life the things that you were ashamed about or afraid of, would they leave or would they stay? And I think it's a clear indication of, one, how much do they know that they're loved? Two, that they don't have any judgment in their heart towards you because they know how free they are because of the mess that they are, and they've taken it to God. Okay? So, you know, here, I'm just going to tell you. Like, I think the, the church has got to do a better job of being honest uh, about their mess. Uh, and look, some of you are further along. Some of you are more disciplined, more self-controlled, uh, have more... Um, responsibility in your story. And that's great. So, you know, maybe not everyone is a step away from, uh, you know, being as much of a mess as I'm thinking you are, but, um, I can hear some things that look, but, but the part of it too, it's like, it's me too, right? It's not just you, it's all of us. So here are some things that I've, uh, I think I've confronted and dealt with, and I'm, I'm more than happy to share with you. Um, that I think have caused shame in my life that uh, no longer have any power over me. Uh, I hated my parents, especially my dad, for a long time. Uh, I blamed him for a lot, and I actually thought of killing him. Um, I struggled with addictive behaviors when I was growing up. Uh, I've dealt with lust and temptation. I've dealt with doubting my sexuality. I've thought about harming people. Um, one of the, the ones that had, this is probably one of the biggest ones that I had to confront. I'm going to tell you how I confronted it in a minute. I spent four years ashamed in hiding for sexual activity with a woman who was then murdered. Uh, I was so closed off, I didn't tell anyone for four years. Nobody knew that. And then I was convicted enough in my relationship with Jesus to go tell my best friend first. Um, then I went to therapy to deal with it. And then I told a room full of, uh, I was in a room with 42 people for this weekend thing. And 40 of them I did not know prior. And I talked about it openly there. And you want to know what happened after that weekend? I'll talk about it with anybody that ever asked about it or anytime it comes up. It no longer has power over me. Now, those aren't things that, uh, you know, I'm not saying stand up in a room like this and start exposing all your mess. But if, if the alternative of that when you do it is if you know you're loved and then you have joy, then you're free. And so if you don't do it, you just have to look at the other side of it. If you don't, if you're unwilling to do that on some level, then what do you have? I don't know, a mess, chaos, shame. Like, it's not, it won't just go away. Um, 
Okay. All right. It's interesting, too, in this scripture, uh, the word discipline is referenced or said eight times in 17 lines. Um, I mentioned earlier discipline, right? The quality of being able to behave and work in a controlled way in which involves obeying particular rules or standards. Um, man, time goes really fast up here. I'm running out of time here. Um, okay. So part of it is... Um, Oh, another thing. I thought this was interesting, too. Um, you want to search out and be around people who are really, really healthy. Uh, and, and, and I think a way to, to kind of measure are they healthy uh, is are they willing to have conversations that are mature and, um, you know, they're not surface level. I mean, we all do the you walk around and a lot of times we spend surface level conversations. I'll tell you about an experience I had uh, July 4th. We were at some friends home and there was a group of their friends who I had never met and I walked out on their back patio and the conversation that that this group of friends was having was, uh, what's the, uh, deadliest, the seven deadly sins. What sin is your greatest struggle? And I literally walked into that conversation and they were like, Hey, what, what's the sin that you deal with the most? And I was like, awesome pride. I knew it immediately. Right. Because I spent a lot of time thinking about like, and apparently, so we started researching it. Pride's the worst one. If I guess if you put them in a hierarchy, like pride's the worst one. Um, but here's the other thing too. So in the in the psychological world, so pride could be narcissism, right? Same thing. The definition of narcissism is uh, an overwhelmingly um, full belief or view of yourself that's positive. Shame is the counter to that. An overwhelmingly negative belief about how you see yourself or who you are, right? But the thing is, is they feed each other, right? If you're prideful, why? If Okay, so like I know this, so like pride is the thing that I have to be on the lookout the most, right? And I know what it sounds like and it looks like when I'm, when I'm in that place. But what's it protecting? My insecurity, shame, right? So if I'm feeling shamed, I don't think I'm valuable, right? So if, unless I'm healthy, the counter to that is we'll just be prideful. Right now, some of you, it might be lust or greed or envy or sloth and... I don't know what the rest of them are, but, um, but, it, but you need to think about that, though. Um, some of you have heard this line, too. Uh, a famous psychoanalyst, Carl Jung, he has a line that says, the line of good and evil runs down the center of every man's heart. That's everyone, which means I, that's where the idea that you're a step away from crossing over. It's like you're, you might not be that far away from it. There's a really interesting study. Are any of you familiar with the um, Stanford Prison Experiment? Yes, some of you are. Okay. So there was a study. Look it up. Philip Zimbardo, he's a psychologist, Stanford University, late 70s, early 80s, maybe. Netflix did a docu, not a documentary, a, um, they made a film about it, uh, maybe two years ago. And it, it's, it's literally that idea encapsulated in, in a 30 hour period of this study. Uh, and what they did was they took random assignments of college students. They just said, Hey, we're going to pay you guys 15 bucks to participate in this study. They got a room of, I think they got like 40 young men, all college students. Some of them knew each other prior, some of them didn't. They just signed up for the study. Brought them into a room, randomly assigned them to either a, a authority role, a police officer role, um, 
or a prisoner role. Just randomly assigned them. No background on these people, no psychological health on these people, just here, here you go. Um, they made a makeshift prison in the in one of the university hallways, right? So doors that were locked, and they put them in uniforms, and they put prisoners in different clothes, and they, they unified them all in that sense. Within 30 hours, those who had been given the role with the authority and the power were already abusing it. They wouldn't let them go to the bathroom. They wouldn't let them eat. They'd fight them if they, if they talked back. And so it was, it was psychologically, it was, it was, it was a wake up call for like, oh wow, it doesn't take long pe- for people to become or to access the dark parts of themselves. Right? And none of those people, none of those young men prior had any kind of like, I mean, they had their ego and their pride, but they weren't, they weren't violent. They weren't, um, you know, at least there wasn't an observation that they could be determined to be, um, like anchored in this power. But like, if you give people authority and you give them power and they're in a dark place, they'll abuse it. So would you, right? So like part of it is just accepting that here's the thing though. How much power does that give you when you accept that maybe you're a mess, but you also have a lot of hope and potential. Like, and if you learn to hold those two things together, like you'll be a healthier human being. Um, so that study is really interesting. Um, there's a lot of studies like that. It's the same thing that happened with, with Nazi Germany too. None of those guys in the military thought that they were going to become that. Um, okay. So I'm, yeah, I got to move. Um, well, yeah, it's, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, what's that? Okay. Well, I don't want Brandy getting mad because the kids are going crazy and, you know, it's like, um, all right. So <laughs> I think it's really important to ask yourself, what are you, what are you most ashamed about? Cause I think if you can overcome that and learn to expose that, whether it's with your spouse first, if you're married, uh, with your best friend, with your parents, if you're health, if that's a healthy relationship, you know, a therapist would be an idea too. Um, if you're not ready to tell any of those people, but when I'm working with people, part of the idea is that they expose it in the room with me and then they go out and share it with other people. Like, I don't want, it can't just become about what happens in my office or they're not free. Right. And then the problem with that is, is that I've got, I don't have authority in that way, but like, if I'm not motivating them to go back out, then I'm, I'm doing a disservice in my own walk with Jesus. Because it's not a, it's not about what happens in the room necessarily. It's about what happens in their life when they leave. Um, so that's a, I, I think about that when I'm working with people. It's like it can't end here. Um, okay. So this is pretty cool too. So, uh, we talked a little bit about how do you discipline yourself and emotional health and emotional strength. Um, this will lead into like, I guess the last, uh, exercise that we do. Uh, how many of you know when your body's stressed? Okay. How do you know? Where in down here? Okay. So this will be a really kind of cool little exercise in neurobiology. Um, and just be honest when I ask you this, uh, where's your tongue right now in your mouth? Is it pressed in the top? All right. How many people have it pressed in the top? How many people have it pressed in the bottom, like behind their bottom teeth? How many people it's just relaxed? Okay. You guys are safe. Um, (laughs) 
All right. So, okay. So this is, this is, when I learned this, I thought it was really cool. Um, okay. So for some reason, your tongue, uh, is, it's obviously connected to your nervous system. When your nervous system anticipates stress or fear or worry or anxiety, uh, your tongue will be pressed up in the, either the top of your mouth or, be, or in the bottom behind your teeth. So here's what I'm going to ask you all to do. Um, I want you all to, uh, raise your arms above your head. I want you to breathe. I want you to just pay attention to what's happening below your shoulders and with your tongue. Breathe. All right. How many of you, this tongue went down? How many of you stayed the same? Okay. Um, so I want you to think about the posture that you were just in for a second. What is, where do you see this most naturally? I mean, we saw it this morning. Worship. Where else do you see this? Surrender. Where else do you see this? This one's kind of harder to get. You might have to have kids to know this one. Hmm? Under arrest. Yeah, that one's tricky right now. So <laughs> um, who said, hold me, kids, when they're in distress, what do they do? Right, okay. So this is the most vulnerable position human beings can be in physically. But what you're telling your brain right now is I'm okay. Because you would not do this if you were with people and you did not trust in God and or believe that you were going to be safe. You wouldn't naturally do this. Nobody would. Right? So it's funny. It's real simple. So you want to know what I do when I start getting stressed with my work day or my wife or my kids? Put my arms up. Why? Because all it does is communicate to your brain. This is like real basic neuroscience. I can't go much beyond this, but it's literally telling your brain as a functioning organism, you're okay. Just by doing this. That's it. So some people are keeping their arms up now. <laughs> so I did this once with a, a group of uh, women, and some of them said they're never going to put their arms down. I was like, okay, so. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so that's real simple. The other thing that you have full control over uh, that you don't think about having full control over to regulate your nervous system is breathing. Right? It is the one thing that all of you have absolute control over. You just have to be mindful to do it. Uh, so th- this is the next thing. Um, when I wrote about, when I did this article about the debates and how they just, they're not helping anybody's mental or emotional health, uh, one of the things, I like to be real practical. Um, so, I mean, I think that's pretty practical. But, um, so I'm going to walk you through an exercise, and then I guess i got to wrap it up here pretty quick. Um, so I'm going to ask all of you to just stay where you are, obviously. You're not going to stand up. Um, and then I'm going to walk you through, uh, it's impossible for your heart to be both grateful, grateful and anxious at the same time. It cannot happen. It's also impossible for your mind to be, um, frustrated and curious at the same time. Can't happen. Just like I don't think you can be ashamed and be loved at the same time. I don't think it can happen. Like there's, there's a lot that we're learning about the human system that, um, you can't hold these two things. They both exist, but you have to choose which one you're going to, you're going to operate from. Okay, so gratitude and anxious. So I just, in your own mind, I'm going to walk you through this. It's going to be about two minutes. Um, I want you to assess zero to 10, 
below your shoulders, uh, how anxious or stressed or uh, worried you would be here in this moment, right? So just, you're doing all of this in your own space. So just assess it, give it a number. 10, really stressed out, zero, I'm really calm and relaxed. All right, so what, you, what I want you to do is I want you to think of um, the first, per- and you can close your eyes if you want to, so we're going to walk through this together. Um, I want you to think of the first person that comes to mind that you're most grateful for. You can either say it out loud to yourself or you can just think it in your mind. And I want you to bring the image of that person into your mind. I want you to look into their eyes. See them as if they're right in front of you. And what's one thing you're grateful for? in their relationship with you. You can say it out loud or you can say it to yourself. Just pick one. There might be many, just pick one. And I want you to hold, looking into their eyes, and I want you to think of that gratitude. And I want you to hold that together for 10 seconds. Take a deep breath. Let it go. All right, who's the next person that comes to mind? Next person you're grateful for. Look into their eyes. And what's one thing that comes to mind that you're grateful for in that relationship? Hold those two things together. Take a deep breath. Let it go. And who's one more person? Next person that comes to mind that you're grateful for. What's one thing that you're grateful for in that relationship? Hold those two things together. Take a deep breath. Let it go. Take another one. Let it go. Now I want you to scan down into your body. And how many of you in that one minute exercise have any kind of positive shift in the way you feel? Be honest. If you don't, you don't. Okay. 75% of the room it looks like. Okay. Surrendering is a big deal. Breathing is obviously a big deal. Gratitude is a big deal. When you're grateful, you're humble. Right? And I don't, I think what the, what neutralizes pride and shame is humility. When you accept the responsibility and the story that you carry and whatever it is that you're ashamed about and you expose it, you're humbled. Because it's really hard to expose your mess and then to judge others. If you do, you're in a really dark place. Okay, that gratitude exercise is a minute. Wait, it wasn't even a minute. I think we probably did it for like 40 seconds. You can practice that every day. You can do that in the morning. You can do it if you're married. Do it with your spouse. Do it with your kids. Right? You have to slowly in- integrate and discipline yourself to do things like that. It, it won't just happen. Uh, just like taking ownership of your story and exposing it and being free of whatever shame you carry won't just happen. Right? You have to be willing to um, I think go back to the image that's in Hebrews 12, 
right? Jesus hung on a cross knowing that he was going to be naked and scarred and beaten and, and murdered. And he still chose it. Why? Because of what was on the other side. Joy. But he also knew he was loved. So, um, we'll end here. I can pray. And then I don't know if you're coming up or, okay. Father, we thank you, um, for freedom. Uh, we thank you for your love for us. Uh, and we ask that you help us know that fully. Um, that everyone here would be free. Um, that they would bring that freedom to the people that they love. Uh, first in who you are, uh, and second in owning their story, uh, and just being honest and telling the truth. Help our hearts be strong. Help us gain confidence. Uh, help us know that we're loved and that we're valued. And Jesus, we thank you for all that you are. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your mercy. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.